After that, uh, Odrat needs to go feed. Mm-hmm. So just pieces out of the house. Um, where do you think you're going? Out. Well, I said, not if I say you don't. I slash we ignored him. Um, but Odret slash Tobias gets picked up, goes to the McDonald's entrance. Um, and when he gives his uh, ID, he walks self-importantly um, to the pier. And as he gives his number, um, he suddenly becomes aware that there are two more Hawkbajir behind him, not just the two guarding the pier. Mm-hmm. Um, and Odred is scared immediately, um, but goes with these Hawkbajir. Um, because he's not going to be able to change their mind. Um, and when he gets to where they're taking him, uh, Visa three, uh, in Andalite form, we get this uh little. Basically, Odret's been made. Mm-hmm. Um, and Visa three's like Odret one. Yeah, Odret one seven seven. Um. Just like you've come to feed, obviously. Well, then I'm sorry you've been at all delayed. Go enjoy. And Odret's not stupid enough to go <laughs> to do that. He just like stays there, and he's just like, "There is just one thing before you go, Odret. I need the truth." Well, what truth is that, Vesa? And then I love this. Dis- the Andalite body moved with liquid ease, and just like moves up to be like face to face with the judge. Like. I know that you are faithful to Vissa One, Odred. That much I know beyond all doubt. And Odred tries to get out of it. Just like, I serve the Council of Thirteen, and if any harm should come to me, they'll investigate very thoroughly, and Vissa Free is unimpressed. It's like, yeah, as I said, Odred, I know you're Vissa One's minion. The question is about the order you transmitted to me. The order to avoid open war on the humans. I need to know whether that order came from the Council, or whether Vissa One is its source. And he's like trying to stick to his story. I gave the order of the council. She's like, maybe. And if so, I shall have to obey them. But if you speak only for Vissa One, well, that's a very different matter. Basically, I won't read out this whole thing, but basically it's revealed like, yeah, no. Audrey, you've been great sticking to your story. Good job. Um, It's just like, okay, you're making your choice. Cool. You can work for me and feed or you can work for Vissa One and starve. And uh, in a panic, with the whole thread of Candrona's starvation hanging over him, Edra is like, no, the council doesn't know anything. Uh, Vissa One is just trying to slow you down. She's sent to delay you until the council sends the order. But it will come. And he's like, all right, as I suspected, I'll have to move quickly, very quickly, and present the council with a done deed. Then the order will be irrelevant. <laughs> Which is... Great energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. The Visa Three, uh, the Visa Three way. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, well, then I'll work for you then. And Visa Three just laughs at him. It's just like, you betrayed Visa One, Adret. Should I keep you around to betray me? Uh, kill him. And a dragon beam is pressed against Tobias's head, and uh, he's shot. And that's it. One down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to Jake. It is day 40. Um, they tried following Tom. It hasn't worked. Uh, 
And so they're searching Tom's room while he's out. Marco is fucking brilliant and is like, watch out for little <laughs> telltales, like placing a hair wedged into mm-hmm. a drawer or a door to see if it's been opened because if the hair isn't there, uh-huh. then he knows it's been opened. I love uh, Jake being like, how do you know this? <laughs> and Mark's like, I read, you know, books. John Le Carre, tradecraft. Oh, John Le Carre, uh, tradecraft, dude. It's all about the tradecraft. Just like, I love the notion of a 13-year-old reading fucking John Le Carre for fun. Like, lordy. Because this isn't a Marco that's been embroiled in war. This is just a kid that likes spy books. Mm-hmm. I love my son. He's great. Uh, and Jake is going to ignore him, except then he sees a hair wedged <laughs> into the closet door. <laughs> Marco noticed and gave him. Marco noticed and gave himself a little. Am I smart or what? Flourish. Um, but they don't find anything in Tom's room. Uh, and so they go back down to Jake's room, and they're like, I don't know what the fuck we're doing like i don't know if we're gonna find anything how we're gonna find anything maybe we are just crazy and there's nothing to to find um and then the phone rings and it's rachel and she tells him to turn on the tv so they go into jake's parents room uh and turn on the tv and it's an andalite face it is axe's face and he's telling everyone on every channel uh what the Yerks are. Yeah, he's doing the opening chapter of every Animals book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, explaining what Yerks are, that they're here to enslave the Earth, that they already have three enslaved sentient species. Um, and it's it's on all local channels at the same time, except for Channel 7, which is Yerk-controlled. Um, and Marco points out that like someone is cutting this in it's not like something that the news channels are showing because it doesn't have any of like the news channel logos on it um and then the screen goes blank because the yerks cut off the transmission and marco is like that's what tom is a yerk a controller my mom too she's not dead she's one of them uh and uh, af- after Rachel had called and told him to turn on the TV, she hung up. Uh, and then Cassie called him, presumably to tell him the same thing. And he's like, yeah, I see it, Cassie. Um, and so after they see all this, uh, he picks up the phone to Cassie again and is like, what does this all mean? Uh, and she's like, I watched it and every word he said, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the truth. Uh, Jake, we call him Axe. I know this sounds crazy, but we're supposed to know him. He's supposed to be our friend. We call him Axe, and sometimes he can become human. Uh, And Jake's like, nothing sounds crazy anymore. Um, Marco uh, is pointing out the news people on the TV are just like, unsure how to spin this. Um, (laughs) And then Marco takes a bathroom break. I like this just obvious oh we need marco to be in another room i know (laughs) it's just like well that was a lot to process i'm gonna go spend some time contemplating in the bathroom yeah i do my best thinking in there yep uh 
And then Tom shows up and he's standing in the doorway uh, and he has a dragon beam trained on Jake. Uh, and he threatens Jake, I can kill you or you can come along peacefully, your call. And Marco comes charging out of the bathroom trying to rush Tom. Tom trips Marco. Marco falls down. Um, and Tom's just like, don't make me mad. I've had a very busy day. Uh, so why don't you both just come with me? Uh, and they do because Next they don't moment. really have a choice. I hmm? fucking lost my mind at <laughs> what happened next. Like, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> because uh, as they uh, go to step outside uh, through the family room, through the front door, uh, Jake opens the door. There's a car arriving to pick up Tom. Uh, somebody yells, look out. Uh, uh, which is enough to make Tom flinch, but a baseball bat comes down on his gun hand uh, and then smacks him in the face three times. <laughs> uh, blood gushing from his nose and ear as Rachel is there wielding this baseball bat, breathing hard, but her outfit, hair and makeup remain perfect. <laughs> And then we are going to cut to Rachel's, but just the visual of them going to leave the house and Tom just getting fucking cold clocked with a fucking baseball bat yep. by Rachel, who might be as tall, almost as tall as him. Uh -huh. It's just like, yes. Because that means she probably got off the phone and went there. Yes. Like, I'm going to grab a bat and go because I'm feeling mm, mm -hmm, some which mm -hmm. way. Um, and it's just impeccable. Uh, now we have an upsetting kind of shootout uh, briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jake picks up the felt, uh, the gun that Tom had been holding. Um, Marco has to tell Jake to fucking use it. Mm -hmm. um, get He vaporizes this man that was like moving on them from the car. Mm -hmm. uh, then they uh, blow a hole in the car. Um, Tom is going to get up. And Rachel just fucking cracks him in the knee. <laughs> like, oof. <laughs> um, the injured guy from the car is trying to get ready to shoot again. And Rachel is on him and then hits him. And it's just like, people will drop a weapon really fast if you hit their arm with a baseball bat. <laughs> um, the driver of the car's out on a cell phone running and Rachel's telling Jake to shoot. It's like, no, he's leaving. And Rachel is fully ready to shoot this guy that's mm -hmm. running away. Uh, and Jake yanks her arm upwards and is just like, we don't shoot people in the back and we don't shoot people who are willing to leave us alone. It's like, hey, who died and made you president? What are you, the boss? Yes, he said. And then his expression softens. And by the way, thanks. He's like, no problem, cousin. Which is funny to me because I've been watching uh, Court of Fame Flowers and two of the characters <laughs> exclusively to refer to each other as cousin. And it's mm -hmm. just, that's all in my head. Um, but they're like, we've got to bolt. Um, and we've got to get to Cassie because Tom knows that uh, Jake was talking to her. Um, uh, because, uh, yeah, and Rachel's like, yeah, now I get to Cassie. Oh, she came to Jake's house right away as soon as the alien was off the air because uh, she only lives two blocks away, less if you know the back back routes. Uh, Tom, meanwhile, is holding his knee, bleeding from the face. 
Um, you can run, but you can't hide. He said, spitting blood through stuff. We'll take you. We'll take you all. Why is that baseball bat? I wondered. The soft invasion is over, Tom Jid. The real war is about to begin. We'll have you all. You're our meat. You're our meat. And Jake's just like, we need to go. Quick, but another, before another carload of forget carload as a bug fighter is showing up. Uh, and the kids take off running as you would, um, mm-hmm. as they are being fired on by a spaceship out in the open in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. um, blowing up cars and garages, leaving furrows in lawns. Um, Marco trips, Rachel picks him up. Um, they're working the way through. A pool gets basically vaporized into steam. Um, which is bad for them because that's going to be chlorine-filled steam. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Jake is heading for a patch of woods nearby. Um, people are coming out of their houses and staring at this spaceship. Um, and it hits. Yeah, no, Tom told the truth. This is full out war. Jake and Rachel make a stand because they both have dragon beams. Um, they take a shot, um, and it's like effectively the ship jerks it doesn't explode it just like it's been slapped it hauls away they run um and then the bugfighter takes a shot um another shot and it blows up uh some cars and a parked rv and the resulting explosion is enough to knock the kids over uh like ringing ears um rachel's singed uh feeling like disorientated jake is having to fucking slap the fire off his shirt um, and Marco is just on his back and uh, has been killed. As Rachel goes up to get him because she doesn't realise at first and then it occurs to her what's happened. And Jake has to grab her and just like run. But Marco, run, just run. And he's crying as he pulls her away. So that's two. Yeah. Uh, we cut to Axe, who is at a circuit city, or is next to a circuit city, which has a bunch of TVs in the window. And he's watching the TV. Um, the people around him are gobsmacked about the... Someone has videotaped the bug fighter going after... Rachel and Jake and Marco. Um, they don't see the kid part of it, but they see a big ass spaceship firing dragon beams. Um, and I like the detail of someone is just buying one of the TVs in the meantime. I, I fuck like, look, if the world's going to end, I want to watch it in high def. Like, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Congrats. I think you're doing the American dream right there, sunshine. Yep. But a lot of them are um, thinking that whatever it is, uh, it must be a misunderstanding because if they have advanced technology, they must believe in peace. Um, uh, there's been uh, there's an EMP sent out to render all of the TVs inoperable. Um, the lights are still on, but the, there's no, uh, radio messages able to go out. Um, 
And Axe kind of just leaves. He's like, I'm not really sure what to do next. I should probably attempt to help the humans, but I don't really know how. Um, or I can try to contact the homeworld. Um, maybe both. Uh, the Yerks would move quickly to increase the pace of infestation now, and my own actions might have caused them to rush. Um, he does, he isn't sure how big the Yerk force is here on Earth. Um, and, uh, he, he's just baffled at the idea that on this planet, there are nearly six billion potential hosts. More than enough to supply every living Yerk with a human host. Um, humans were physically unimpressive, but they did have excellent hands and very good senses. All the Yerks needed. Oh, you mean like Myrtle? <laughs> uh, I'm not bitter. No, clearly. Um, I mean, it's a good thing that Myrtle wasn't captured and infested by the Yerks, obviously, but also... Get your story straight. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so the Axe sees uh, the blade ship landing on top of the mall. Uh, and is like, well, I guess I should do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut to Cassie. Um, and uh Cassie has uh hooked up with Rachel and Jake. Um they are all three of them on the run because they can't go home. Um my parents demanded that I come home immediately. They told me that in all likelihood these aliens were friendly. This was all a wonderful opportunity for the human race. Maybe they were naive or maybe they had been taken too. And the three of them are just kind of, like, wandering. They don't know what to do or what they can do. Um, they end up at the mall. They're at the food court just trying to get some food. Um, and they're at the mall when the blade ship lands and the controllers start to pour in. Um, basically, the uh, axe told us in the previous chapter, and it's kind of... Um, shown here is that the Yerk plan is basically just capture them all, you get several hundred uh, hosts all at once you know, easy way to just get what you need mm -hmm. um, good place to start um, <clears throat> and I so, love this is another instance here of um, Rachel's knowledge mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. coming, because there's like, there's Hawkbashir now this is the first time they've seen one though mm -hmm. cassie instinctively knows what what it's called mm -hmm. um and has the thought that she should morph and it's like what the fuck is that um <laughs> rachel which is like Cassie's like we can't fight these things and rachel's like i'm gonna try and <laughs> pulls out the dragon beam that she had kept tucked in a waistband <laughs> yep only in the 90s um <laughs> yeah um, bless high-waisted jeans. Um, but, uh, they take, she takes a shot, um, 
uh, just uh, of a whole, on a Hawkshire who's just uh, killed somebody, uh, vaporizing a human, and she just does the same thing. But now they are running. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rachel is the one that knows them all uh, the best. Obviously, like is this again? It's sort of like a chase scene, an escape scene. They're all aware, like they need to go, they need to mm-hmm. run. Cassie is having these memories of the Yerk pool and what that was like, even though she's never seen it. Um, and then as um, a hawk vizier is about to like lay down a strike, um. As Cassie like begs, like, "What? Why are you doing this?" Uh, it gets decapitated um, mm-hmm. because hey, Axe is here. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Axe, uh, Axe is outnumbered. Obviously, there's a lot of Hawkbajir here, but he's able to do a little bit of damage. And then um, Rachel, <laughs> fucking this moment. <laughs> so Rachel <laughs> steps up behind one of the Hawkbajir carrying the head of the one that Axe just decapitated and lifts it up and slams it blades down into one of these Hawkbajir. I think it's one of the ones that's like stopping Jake from picking up the Draken Beam again. Mm -hmm. Um, Jake is able to get a shot off uh, and Axe is just like, thank you. Um, Cassie's throwing up. Uh, which is, you know, fair. And she's like, can I have the weapon, please? Jake's like, I don't think so. She's like, I am attempting to save your species and I observe that you have lost two weapons already. Smacks <laughs> Jake's hand, gets the gun, and she's like, and now three. Again, thank you. <laughs> um, Cassie tries to use his name, can't remember the full name, but remembers Axe and... Axe is just like, do we know each other? Um, and we have the moment of Cassie of, yes, not here, not this way. I don't know how, but somehow, yes. Um, <laughs> Axe takes a really sick shot over one shoulder because Stork Eye's great. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody's screaming Andalite uh, as they fall to their death. Uh, and now all the Hawkbush are in the vicinity are like, oh no, there's an Andalite here. I don't care about getting these hosts together. Let's go kill that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, are you able to run on those two legs? And Jake's like, dude, we could fly on these two legs. <laughs> um, and so they're running. They're trying to get to the roof, to the blade ship. And this is, I was a bit ahead of time. Rachel's like, knows where the service corridors are. Um, and just is leading them. They cut through stores. Uh, they end up, and they're getting hurt as they go. It's mm-hmm. it's rough going, but they make it to uh, like a stairwell, and the uh, Jake has the the great moment of uh, telling Axe to vaporize part of the stairs behind them so they can't be followed that way. Um, Rachel has to pull back so her eyebrows don't get scorched off because of the amount of heat coming off this metal being melted away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Axe is like, okay, when we get outside, we'll need to move swiftly and decisively. There is a ship. We are going to take it. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> Rachel's like, ah, follow me. And they are off and running. And, uh, right, and, she, to the, and like Rachel's like, what kind of idiot is going to run towards the ship? And she's like, our kind of idiot. 
Um, and Rachel is living. Uh, she's like screaming and lunging forward and has the moment of feeling the wind off a hawk arm as it blew past, uh, blows past her and doesn't even feel the wrist blade. I hit the corrugated steel floor, rolled onto my side, saw bright lights and moving shapes. The movements grew slower, slower, stop. We cut to Jake, who is screaming. Uh, Cassie is also screaming. He grabs Cassie and pulls her to him and is trying to drag her with him. Uh, and then suddenly she's uh, gone and he's no longer holding her hand. Uh, she evaporates as she is hit by a dragon beam. Uh, I stared at the blank space where she had been. I stared at my hand. I was moaning, a weird sound, moaning like a hurt animal. No sound that any human would make. Uh, but the Andalite continues to move forward, and so he goes with him. Um, they make it onto the bridge, uh, and are face-to-face with Visser 3. Um, and... Uh, their axe raises his dragon beam, but Visser 3 cuts off his hand. Um, <clears throat> Jake raises his own weapon, but Visser 3 lunges, and Jake misses. He hits the ground, uh, and then Cassie fires. Cassie? Visser 3's upper body sizzled and disappeared. The deer-like lower half fell over, lifeless. No, no, no. It was a voice that dripped sarcasm and contempt. But it was annoyed, too. She's dead. The girl was dead. This really is too much. Cassie came rushing over toward me. She knelt down and helped me to my feet. The Andalite stared weirdly at me, and more so at Cassie. It's breaking up, Cassie said. What is? She shook her head. I don't know. I I don't know what to call it, but it's falling apart. Uh, Axe gets to the controls, kills some taxons, uh, seals the bridge off. He says that they can break through, the, the Yerks can break through the bridge eventually, um, but... Uh, they're not going to have any auxiliary control, so we have control of the ship now. Um, I'm going to broadcast a request for help to any and all Andalite fleet elements. And Jake is like, your guys can save us? And Axe is like, no. But they may be able to save your people. What we can do is make the arrival of the Andalite fleet less dangerous for them. And more beneficial for your kind. Uh, they're up in space. Uh, they've lifted off without Jake even noticing. Uh, and then there was a gorilla. It was just <laughs> there, squatting in the corner. Oh, this is wrong, the angry grating voice from nowhere cried again. This isn't it at all. What's that voice, I asked. And what's a gorilla doing here? Gorilla? I'm a gorilla? Ah! I'm a gorilla! Marco? <laughs> It was his voice coming directly from the gorilla. It's coming apart quickly now, Cassie said, still staring weirdly around like nothing she was seeing was real. 
Axe, what is all this? You're the alien, man. What's going on? The Andalite winced a little at the question. Then, obviously reluctant to admit ignorance, he said, I do not know. He looked at Cassie with both stock eyes. Perhaps she does. It's all a part of it, Cassie said in a sort of whisper. It's coming apart. Uh, the Yurk pool ship is ahead of them. And Axe aims every weapon the blade ship has on the pool ship and is about to fire. Um, and right before he fires all of the weapons, uh, the droid says, Oh, all right, all right, stop it, stop it. A thing. An alien, I suppose. Something, anyway, that looked an awful lot like a small dinosaur with the skin of a prune appeared. Uh, Axe fires, but the energy beam stops midway across the distance to the pool ship. Um, and uh, this fucking interaction it's is so just... good. Do you want to take lead I... on it? <laughs> yeah. I'll... You can read the Elvist. I'll read the droid. This will be great. <laughs> it was the girl, wasn't it? She corrupted the time flow. <laughs> And, and old blue man glowing shows up. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's not so easy, is it, Drode? You cheated me, Elamist. We had a deal, a trade-off. You are allowed to meddle with the timeline in this Falakadrat situation, and we, my master Krayak and I, were to be allowed to tempt this young jackal here. I kept my bargain, the Elamist said. I have done nothing to bring about this result. The girl is an anomaly. She is subtemporally grounded. You were careless. She's a freak of nature! <laughs> yes, she is. And Marco's just like, what's going on here? I'm pretty sure I was dead. Then I'm a gorilla. He's no <laughs> longer Joe just carries on. Yeah, he's, he's ignoring... The droid's ignoring Mark, ignoring everybody. Oh, I see it now. I see it now. Subtle as always, Elomist. Your meddling came before, didn't it? How could we not have seen it? Alfangle's brother, his time-shifted son, this anomalous girl here, and the son of Vissel One's host body, a group of six supposedly random humans that contains those four? You stacked the deck. Did I? That would have been very clever of me. The droid spits. It's just like, you knew that girl was an anomaly. You knew she was subtemporarily grounded. And you knew that whatever timeline I built, her presence would eventually destabilize it. She knew from the start that the timeline had shifted. She felt it. I might as well have terminated this exercise then. I saw the sudden inexplicable transportation of the mother. I thought, well, it's a glitch. The hands morphing to tiger. All the little breakdowns of logic and sequence. I still thought it might hold together. Cassie said, is um, anyone going to tell us what's going on here? And the Elemist winks at her. And suddenly, alive in the room with us were Rachel and the kid Tobias. Does this feel more right, Cassie? The Elemist asked. She nodded. This is everyone. Only Tobias should be... As I watched in amazement, Tobias seemed to melt, to shift, to dwindle. In seconds, there was a hawk where he had been. And we get the Elemist's explanation of what Cassie is. Uh, most creatures live entirely within their timeline, like a person trapped in a single room. They see only what is within those four walls. Others, like yourself, Cassie, can see beyond those walls. 
can see other rooms as though the walls were translucent. You felt the change. You sensed that things were not right. You could see only dimly, but you could still see beyond. You could see what should be, where you belonged, and without consciously knowing it, you were working to repair what had been torn apart. To reconstitute time as it should have been. You were a virus in the software. You degraded the subtle workings of the Drode's artificial time shunt. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, Cassie said. You were in this timeline, but of another. That is an anomaly, an impossibility. One of the two timelines were doomed to fail. You grounded the true timeline, and thus this timeline began to fall to pieces. Who are you two? I demanded of the Elemist and the Drode. He's an old cheats! <laughs> There are rules, Elemist! <laughs> yes, and I obeyed them. I allowed you to create this alternate timeline, and in this timeline, these humans and this Andalite came very close to annihilating the Yurk presence. You suspended the exercise, not me. You can continue this timeline, or allow these young ones to return to their own times. The droid's face was twisted with hatred. Krayak will have him yet. She was talking about me. I knew it suddenly. I knew who I was. I knew it all. I was myself once more, leader of the Animorphs. With that knowledge came a sledgehammer of guilt. It was all my fault. I had weakened. I'd said yes to the drode. I'd given in. Marco, Rachel, Cassie, Tobias, all dead, at least in this reality, because I had weakened and taken the drode's offer. Perhaps, Strode, perhaps Krayak will have him. But then again, perhaps he will have Krayak. And the droid disappears. The fucks off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kids, uh, they're just there on the wrecked bridge of this blade ship, just chilling with the Elemist. Yep. Um, and Jake's like, well, at least we won, or we'd have won. And the other one said, yeah, but you all would have died and millions of humans before the victory. Um, and Jake is beating himself up because he's Jake. Mm -hmm. It's like, I gave in. I, whis I whispered, I gave in. And we actually have a moment of compassion that I don't think we see very often mm -hmm. from the Elemis, which is, you have been strong for a long time, he said. And because Rachel is never here for the Elemist's bullshit, He's like, he shouldn't have to be. None of us should have to. This is enough. This has gone on too long. And Tobias like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it, would I? I couldn't have ever gone to the sharing. That was wrong. No way. Uh, of course you wouldn't, Rachel growled. And Jake's just like, Elemist, is there anything better in our real timeline? Will it happen any better there? Will it, will it at least ever end? The Elemist looked at me just at me. Sadly, I thought, pitying. It will end, he said. It will end. I wanted to ask him more, but I knew that was all I'd get. And then Cassie's like, okay, so what now? And he takes her hand and gives a little squeeze like, only you will ever recall so much of it, and recall so much as even a dim memory of this timeline and she nods as if half expecting him to say that 
but I'll say nothing about it. Tobias can't know that he ever might have become a voluntary controller, and Jake can't know that he ever weakened enough to take the Drodes deal. You are wise, the Elemist said. Yeah, and I sure don't want and I sure don't want to know that I ever dated Marco, Rachel added. And Jake is just asking how do we get back when we wake back up in day zero. Um, I'll come back to my thoughts on Cassie remembering in a minute. Yeah. But Jake Jake lying in bed, reliving that horrible battle and that yerk in with the human well that human controller pleading for help, feeling cold, thinking about his nightmares. Then the drone is here. And we have a, a replay of the earlier conversation that from the beginning of the book. And one thing like and he asks what words he needs to speak. One is crack, the other is please. I wanted to say no. I wanted to say no. I wanted I opened my mouth to speak. I'll forget it, never mind, the droad said angrily. And that's how the book ends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To be fair, the visual for me of like Jake experiencing this shitty moment and the droad just going, actually, fuck this. (laughs) Because he's just like (laughs) remembered everything that's happened. He's just like, very good. Yeah. Abrupt as it is, but we're sort of used to abrupt endings. Uh, in animals, yep. And now we got as, a couple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, as much as uh, Cassie says, Jake can't know that he ever weakened enough to take the droid's deal. Jake, Jake's already decided. He opened his mouth to say yes, and then the mm-hmm. droid was like, "Nah." Mm-hmm. Jake still has to live with it. Mm-hmm. Has to live with the fact that he's crumbling. Yeah. I do not like as in I find it I think it's good writing to be clear mm-hmm. um, but the notion of Cassie having this information even as a dim memory and then keeping it from everybody mm-hmm. Cassie as an individual the way she's written um, but she already has so much even when she's written at her best it's one of her flaws Mm-hmm. that she thinks she knows best for people. Yeah. Because she is so empathetic, because she does care so much, she gives her opinions and her own feelings about matters a lot of weight. And her deciding, oh, Tobias can never know that. Tobias doesn't could know that because his situation was different. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same thing. Like, who are you actually protecting? with this the answer is jake Mm -hmm. and it's a wasted effort on her part Mm -hmm. because as we know jake was ready to make that choice anyway and knows and like you said knows he would have done and i think it adds a lot of interesting color to cassie um characterization wise Mm -hmm. and it makes her that flaw just it's one of those things that as somebody that struggles with people that can be emotionally manipulative and I'm not always very good at noticing when people are doing it to me mm-hmm. I f- I have a very visceral reaction to seeing it in fiction mm-hmm. so 
I think on top of this very notion, oh, well, Cassie is an anomaly, a one in a billion chance. And also she's going to be the secret keeper. She's going to have memories of all these weird times because she's this anomaly person. So she can know without her brain exploding or whatever. Oh, and she's also like super good at morphing, Mm -hmm. like super good at it. And oh, she's the love interest of the leader. Mm Mm-hmm. And oh, this. And like, while I appreciate, um, because when the book remembers that Cassie's black, that this is, when written well, an incredible black, like, teenage girl character. Mm -hmm. That's important to have. Um, But I don't like when a character of any stripe is like, Paul, like, I don't like chosen one narratives. Mm -hmm. I don't like, I just like people like, I was saying, these kids fight because they have to fight. Like, they're making that choice again and again and again and again. And so the joke being like, oh, well, this is Elfangor's brother and this is his son and this is da-da-da and this is da-da-da. I think what this book proves is it doesn't matter who these kids are. They would still make this choice. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the point. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a cat snoring behind me, and it's very cute. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. I'm distracted I, by the soft little noise. <laughs> it it speaks to the arrogance of Krayak and the Elemist. Um, mm-hmm. And the drought. Um, but just the... I think one of the nuances we kind of find in the Elemist is that... Like, he recognizes that he's doing that Mm. like he may have nudged the pieces so that all of these kids were together at once to walk through the construction site together um but i think he also can recognize that like yeah it doesn't matter what you try to do with these timelines drode like you're gonna lose because i have placed my bet behind the right people Mm -hmm. um a thought that occurred to me earlier as we were talking about is like the loop um spoilers for the good place Mm. um they always um one of the things i love is regardless of how many times they change the circumstances They've realized they're not in the real good place. They realize what's happening Mm -hmm. because they were always going to. Mm -hmm. And I love fight fate narratives. And actually, I am the master of my own destiny. I love all that. But I also just love the notion of there are certain things that are going to happen. Like narrative, because it's good story, because it's like this isn't the power of narratives. This is the power of stories. Yeah. Now it's going to happen this way. Yeah. Because if it and, didn't, you wouldn't have a story. Right. Well, I think, too, it's something about who people are mm-hmm. that, like, no matter how they start out, they're always going to make decisions in such a way that this is the end result. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. Jake's brother is Tom, who is a yerk. Like, he's mm-hmm. always going to get dragged into the war because he loves his brother. 
and he's mm-hmm. always going to fight the Yerks, and he's going to pull his friends in with him because of the kind mm-hmm. of personality he has that's magnetic yeah. and a, a kind mm-hmm. of born leader type thing. And mm-hmm. because they all work well together and they're all so smart and mm-hmm. so determined, they're going to fuck yeah. the Yerk shit up. <laughs> uh-huh. And, like, there's a lot of luck in it. But also, like, because of who they are, they're mm. always going to end up here. Yeah. Let's talk about these discussion points, because we got some. Yeah, we um, did. We were, on, we were on top of our shit and asked for questions. <laughs> Um, uh, so one of, uh, we got a couple from uh, Joasco. We talked already about um, turn turn left, the Doctor mm-hmm, Who episode mm-hmm. at the top. Um, but yes, you are quite correct. The setups are oddly similar, and they compare incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Like it's a good trope. ridiculously well. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. easy, I think, to do badly. But when it's done well and like it's yeah. interested in the characters that it's exploring, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the episode of Doctor Who Turn Left, I think it's a very good episode of television, even without context, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are a fan of um, Catherine Tate's performance of Donna, you, it's a must see. Mm-hmm. Like, she's incredible in that episode. Um, and the other question from Dresco was assuming the topic doesn't come up naturally, is the alternative. Uh, alternate timeline better for the kids who avoid fighting an, an entire war themselves um setting aside Tobias's end is it better for humans and earth um interesting what jade may think without knowing the end of the series compared to what danielle thinks with full knowledge um i don't think it is a better timeline um setting aside the tobias of um this timeline and that tragedy i don't think any of them really are that better off because as we were just talking about the people that they are Mm -hmm. like yeah they might have just wound up getting yerked anyway Mm -hmm. like rachel might have ended up picking a fight with the wrong person and dying alone Mm -hmm. like we saw this invasion this turned into a full-on invasion Mm-hmm. These kids would have ended up fighting the war anyway. Mm-hmm. And at least, like one of the things we've talked about is at least this way, they do it on their own terms with this yes. power, this yes. way to recover from these injuries that would kill them otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like we've said before, Animorphs is being, the morphing is an incredible fucking superpower. Mm-hmm. If only for the healing factor. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's an interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it depends, what do you consider better? Like, are they arguably less traumatized emotionally? Yes. Because they're on a much s- smaller time span that we see. Mm-hmm. This is like 40 days. Mm-hmm. But we see the people that they are. Marco finds out his mother's alive. Rachel is ready to fucking throw down. Jake experiences loss and guilt and becomes a leader unwittingly, but executes it amazingly. 
axe reaches out to the humans and helps. Like, these people are who they are. I just did a helpless little shrug. (laughs) (laughs) It's why there are heroes. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm of a same mind, which is basically... Like, yes, it's a shorter timeline. They arguably get less traumatized, but they're drawn into the war anyway, and at least in the other timeline, they have agency over it. Hmm. Um, it's. I can't speak on whether it's better for humans or Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, we don't know how many people would have died. Right. So. Right. The the Elemist says millions, but like, mm-hmm. could be that the entire well, planet's blown up because the Andalites get there and they're like, nah, we're, this isn't worth fighting. <laughs> oh, yeah, let, let's dust off this uh, quantum virus and go. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, let's do this a silly question next because it's fun. <laughs> Having seen Marco, Rachel in action, who's jumping teams from Tobias, Rachel? Not I. To which I... Well, <laughs> obviously not. Danielle would rather die. <laughs> they they forged their adult personality around this <laughs> ship dynamic. Uh-huh. Um, to you, Tobias, I say put your hands together. Marco, Rachel, <laughs> Tobias. Trio. Uh-huh. uh-huh. This is Rachel has two way. hands. Rachel has two hands. Yeah, to be allegedly like to be less flippant, Mark and Rachel is a great dynamic it uh, is. when they're not at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I don't think Marco and Rachel work in the OG timeline, not no. in a romantic way. No, I think because of the, the stresses of the war and what it does to them. I think rather than liking the things about each other that are the same. They can mm-hmm. see it in each other and dislike it. Yeah. Because it's making yeah. their worst things, their, their like traits that maybe aren't so pleasant. But mm-hmm. I like that they also aren't romantic, that they are these people that bicker and could be in a different timeline, this amazing power couple, and said mm-hmm. they are friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it comes up. I hope it does. I want uh, somebody to be giving Marco shit, and Rachel's like, "Excuse me, only I'm allowed to talk to him like that." And just punch him <laughs> out. That is my fr- that is my uh, smart ass friend. You don't get to talk to him like that. <laughs> um, but I was surprised at how well it worked, and I very much mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, let's see, another one from Tobias. Considering we've been through Saria Rips and Time Machine Adventures before, how do you think the Animorphs would now feel about having killed, uh, Visser 4 in Megamorphs 3? More or less guilty? Um. Um. I mean, I've made my feelings clear on how they shouldn't feel guilty about it anyway because they didn't actually actively kill him. And I yeah. don't think that's just me being pedantic. Uh, mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to that episode, to us do, because we actually talk quite a lot about how annoyed I am about mm-hmm. <laughs> what mm-hmm. I consider to be misplaced guilt. Yeah. Um, I can't speak for everyone's opinions. Um, 
I know maybe it would give them more perspective, but given the the plot doesn't give them the generosity of being able to remember it. Yeah. Um, and they something something the inevitability of character and how if John had lived he would have been infested by Visser Four because mm-hmm. you know things. So if anything to. The point, I think if anything, they might feel less. Yeah. If anything, because like certain things are inevitable, certain things are going to happen, certain things need to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you don't make the choice, it's entirely possible the universe is going to make the choice for you. Yeah. Um, but let's get into this last question. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and read these two comments because like there's a whole thing with it oh thank you because i can't go uh uncovering stuff in yeah, the yeah yeah because <laughs> um so animalian says i know that you guys aren't watching the tv show and it is bad to be fair but i can't help but compare megamorse 4 with the episode not my problem since it's one of the rare times the episode was thought up before the book did it the differences are fascinating, like how in the show Tobias is the only one not yerked, while the opposite is true for the books. And Kit says, it's kind of sad because it makes sense in the book. He would be the likeliest to be yerked next to Jake, I'd say, if only because he's so isolated and wanting a real friend group. Even in the first book, we know he's not really part of the group yet. He's just there because they don't reject him. It's not a real friendship yet. I was that odd kid out in junior high, and if I hadn't fallen in hard with a couple good kids as my real friends, I'd likely be a way more hardcore Christian TM than I am now, because youth group was a place to find, quote-unquote, real friends. The sharing is terrifying because it works. We know it works, and we know who they prey on the best. Uh, mm. which is uh, discuss Tobias being the only controller versus being the opposite is what I have boiled these comments down to. I mean, I can see why in the TV show, one, you only want one of them to not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that makes it easier to follow an episode. It's more dramatic storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I can see how events might shift to accommodate that. Mm-hmm. Um. Because the thing is, both of them play on Tobias's isolation in a different way. Yeah. He's still the outsider. Mm-hmm. So he's still the observer, the scout on the outside. Yeah. Both uh, are very sad in their own way, but with him being the only one who's not a controller, like we've seen what happens when one of these kids is forced to be the one looking out for all the others. It's mm-hmm. bad and upsetting. Mm-hmm. It often results in a lot of character development and trauma. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so an important distinction to make here between the book series and the TV show. There are a lot of distinctions. Some of them, uh, who's who did the video essay? Someone did a video essay on um, why the Animorphs TV show isn't that bad, actually. Um, and he made some pretty good arguments. Um, I'll have to find the link and post it. Uh, Jade can't mm-hmm. watch it, but, um, the, 
so beyond like the the central conceits of like you can't have kids who morph as much because budget mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. The core difference between Tobias in the books versus the TV show is in the books he's a dweeb and a bully magnet. Uh and in the TV show he's a punk loner. Oh, like he gets no. a leather jacket. Oh yeah, that's a very different person. Uh, I'm also saying I know for some other reasons. Um, people who have seen Stranger Things Volume Four and been met Eddie Munson, I was just here, just like, oh no, <laughs> a nerd into music with long hair. Oh no, <laughs> oh dear. No, I just yeah. want Eddie Munson and Tobias Tang. Eddie Munson would definitely have liked it. Yeah. Anywho, um, so I think that's it's reasonable. Two very different people. Yes, it is. I think it's totally reasonable for TV show Tobias to not be yerked because although he has a similar home life, he is a different person. Like he's still kind of sensitive. He's still like insightful and a little oddball. A little more likely to, but he's owning it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think for a lot of us who are like weird, either reclaiming it for us, I'm just thinking of that fucking Riverdale quote, fuck off, uh, that haunts <laughs> me. Um, But there comes a point, I think, for a lot of people that are like uh, some flavor of neurodivergent or queer or whatever, like we, we're mocked for a really long time for being, for aspects of ourselves that we can't change. And then we get a lot of the time, it doesn't always happen. Um. But you get to actually no, I'm you don't like it. Fuck it, I'm going to make this my entire personality, and you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to hate me, fuck it. Yeah, I'm going to own myself. Like, yeah, this is me. I'm going to love it because I love the things about me. And yep. if you get to once you get to that point, if you can, that's great. You have your armor, and you might still be traumatized and stuff, but you don't maybe hate yourself the same way. Mm-hmm. It sounds like. TV show Tobias had a lot less self-loathing. Yeah, it. Uh, so the the line at the beginning of this book where Tobias is like the the clothes he has a choice of to wear, he can either dress like a total dweeb or a total lowlife. Uh, mm-hmm. Book Tobias chose to dress like a total dweeb, and TV show Tobias mm-hmm. chose to des- dress like a total lowlife. Um, yeah, it sounds. But yeah, um, it sounds like the difference is like if you are alone you are easy prey if you choose to be separate Mm -hmm. you are removing yourself from it and i think that's i can see the clear distinction there yeah you have a layer of armor which isn't to say that you can't be vulnerable because if someone gets through that armor then you're fucked um yeah but it it does it it does protect you in some ways, from some of these things, um, while it also has the very noticeable downside of isolating you from people who would care about you. Um, whereas, uh, you know, in the opposite sense, you're so eager to cling to any positivity that when mm-hmm. people show you positive things, you know, you, you dive headfirst into it and soak it up. But uh, mm-hmm. 
then if the wrong person does it and has ulterior motives, then you're fucked. Yeah. All right. We are over time. We've been at this four hours. We need to rattle mm-hmm. through our, our rankings and final yep. questions. Uh, yep. Plot. Ten. Yep. Agreed. Uh, enjoyability slash satisfaction. Also ten. Again, nine, ten, <laughs> right up there. Uh, characterization varies from person to person, but always mm-hmm. interesting yes. when it's front and foremost. Yeah. Um, and good. So I'd, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd put that maybe an eight or a nine. Mm-hmm. There are moments where I'm just like, well, can I see a little more? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's more just where I want more, not because yeah. it's lacking. Yeah. Uh, um, what was your favorite part? Fuck if I know. That was such a good book. Uh, I the visual of Rachel fucking smacking the shit out of Tom with a baseball bat is pretty choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that. Narratively speaking, I know there's something about the visual of them all coming together in the mall. Mm-hmm. Those are, and then like that battle up through the mall, and like Axe appearing. And Rachel then <laughs> improvised yeah. weapon master yeah. like a champ. Yeah. Um, it's just very cool. And just mm-hmm. like there's something about that line of Cassie's about things feeling it's not right, but it's less wrong yeah. than it was. Yeah. And it feels like what comes after that is things like clicking into place. So, yeah. Yeah. My favorite part is that bit in the barn. Because mm. uh, it, nuked mm, me from it's orbit. real good uh-huh <laughs> um, um did anything else surprise you other than being nuked from orbit um, um i i don't think so uh like i said i pretty much remembered most of the beats um mm-hmm. so uh Fair. just how good it was i was really impressed with yeah. how pleased i was with it Uh, i was pleasantly surprised by how hard it went Mm -hmm. because these aren't books that really pull back or shy away from leaning into their darker things but like having that opening chapter and then i tell you when tobias got killed i was Mm -hmm. like oh okay dang like him getting yurked was rough enough Mm -hmm. so that was definitely a moment that made me go, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, I knew that it wasn't going to last and that there's an X number of books after this, but still. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, any parts that didn't make sense, didn't understand? I've talked about uh, how I don't like one two anomaly narratives, mm-hmm. um, but I actually think it was a really well-written, like, very good mm-hmm. flow, mm-hmm. all that jazz. I like the notion of how Vista 3 is a bit different when it doesn't have to deal with the Andalite bandits and it's just yeah. like, yeah, nah, has no reasons to be cagey or anything like that. That was really interesting. Yep. Like, we didn't see much of him. Yep. But much less megalomania. Yeah, like, yeah, he got to eat Elfangor, it was great for him, great day for him, and there's nobody fucking with this shit. Mm-hmm. Because when we think, like, that big attack on the Yerk pool happens in, what, book one? Mm-hmm. So, that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. he's just sitting pretty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, Essential Animals Reading. Yeah. 
plot wise maybe not but i feel like you are missing out if you don't read this one or don't experience this one yeah it is it is a quintessential animorphs vibe like it Mm. gets the the feeling of animorphs really Mm -hmm. well um and and is just a absolutely i I can't say it's a delight to read because it it's heavy hard yeah but it's it's also just like it's really good it's Um, what you want an animorphs book to be mm -hmm. um yeah plot wise not so much you do learn about like there's this hinting about how the elemist has his fingers in things but that's really not crucial um so yeah. All right. Excellent. Okay, we've got a guest on the next episode, right? Or is that the yes. book after? Yes. Bella okay, will be with us next book. Uh, next book so is The Familiar, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, which is... I'm sorry. I just opened the book to look at the cover. What the <laughs> fuck is happening here? It's it's a weird fucking book, and it's weird I? that it comes right after this Megamorphs too. Okay, interesting. So yeah, it's a Jake book. Or t- mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, yep. Cool. <laughs> um, we got to wrap because we have another recording in a bit. My incredible co-host has been Danielle. You can find them most places online at Red Tailed Hawk ninety, uh, including their games uh, they've written on itch.io. Uh, and their home podcast is The Room Where It Happened. They're currently on their third season, Elder County, Tennessee. Uh, if you like your urban fantasy with an Appalachian, uh, Appalachian twist, check it out. Uh, great faction game, great characters as always. Uh, that table is a hoot to be at. Check it out. <laughs> and my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. And you can find their home podcast... Follow the leader at FTL cast on Twitter. Uh, they're going to be starting a pat releasing a Pathfinder game pretty soon. And you should check it out because Jade is playing the most fucking adorable goblin I have ever fucking seen. Um, and I have only known them for two seconds, but I would die for them. Uh, <laughs> be careful. She might let you. <laughs> uh, so it it proves to be uh promises to be a very exciting and fun time. Uh so definitely check it out. Jump in uh at the beginning and and get to experience all the delightful character development uh as it goes. As always you can find this show on Escafil Files at Twitter. You should tell Danielle to write this dumb kids AU. Because <laughs> I'm going to keep telling them to do so. <laughs> and if you want to listen to dumb kids We'd be thrilled to have you. Uh, mm-hmm. DKPH pod on Twitter. And you can always come yell about it in the Rumor Happens server, the link to which is in our show notes. Mm-hmm. All right. And we're done. We're done. We're done. Let's do a clap. Hell yeah. Let's do a clap. I'm going to do the tap. There it is. Okay. 30? 30. <laughs>